Hello, and welcome to another episode of Endeavors. On today's show, I speak with actress Eleanor Risa on her new memoir, The Letters Project. That's all coming up on Endeavors. Welcome to another episode of Endeavors. You know, with everything that's currently happening in Ukraine right now, uh, a lot of folks and a lot of media are, are postulating whether or not this is the beginning of World War Three. Certainly... If uh, nukes become involved, then it would be. And of course, you know, both with this and, you know, e even throughout COVID, uh, there were always references to World War II and the Holocaust. And, you know, it's, it's something that we are still writing about, still talking about, still making you know, film and, and literature about and still learning about, you know, I read something the other day about um, a frightening number of the Gen Z population don't know enough about the Holocaust. Eleanor Risa is a, um, a Broadway actor, writer, and director who has long worked in both English and uh, Yiddish theater. Uh, and uh, she's the daughter of two people who survived the Holocaust, or as she puts it, Holocaust fighters. That's a term that um, she wants to see get into use more often. She received a Tony nomination for her work as director on... Those were the days, uh, and as an actor, has also appeared in the Broadway show Indecent, Indecent, and the HBO miniseries The Plot Against America. But her most recent project is something a lot more personal: her own family, and she found these letters that. Her father had written to her mother, you know, during the 40s and during the 50s when he was trying to come to the United States. I really enjoyed the book because, you know, we we read and, and we watch all this media on the Holocaust, but we forget that there are people alive who either lived through it or had relatives lived through it. And this this made it personal, I think, in, in a different way. Uh, and she also uh, shares a, a humorous story um, about Bob Dylan. Also, 
Uh, I do want to mention that that uh, the day this episode goes out is uh, International Women's Day. Uh, I I, uh, I wanted to make sure that that this aired uh, on this day so that we continue to elevate uh, women's stories. Um, all women, you know, uh, queer women, BIPOC women, Jewish women, neurodivergent women, uh, all, all women. So, um, happy International Women's Day. And yeah, this is me with Eleanor Risa. Lisa, hello. Thanks so much for being here today. Thanks so much for having me. I'm awfully glad to be here. This is quite the quite the story. Uh, the the Letters Project, which which is your uh, new memoir, you know, um, and you. It's the story of all these letters that you discovered between your father and your mother from before you were born during the Holocaust. You you go to Germany. Um, to get them translated, to sort of retrace his steps. It, it, the, and you, the, you know, I think you did this 2017, 2018, at least your journey in the book. W was there a particular time in your life, like th that time in your life that it felt like the right time to do it? Um, that's a really good question. I did it I did it in 2018. I, I, I had the letters. These were letters that my father, the guy who was going to become my father, he wasn't my father yet. Uh, in 1949, he wrote these letters in German to the woman who was his girlfriend at the time, who was my going to be my mother. Um, and they both met, they're both Pol they were Polish by birth but they met in Germany after the war. Uh, my father had lived through Auschwitz and the death march. She had lived through um, kind of slave labor in Uzbekistan. And he, she got her visa to come to America before he did. She, got, she left Germany in, in July of 1949 and he didn't get to America until January of 1950. So these letters, these 56 letters are one way, in fact, they're just from him. Uh, there are no letters from her because even though she wrote him, uh, he didn't put them in his luggage when he came to the States because it was more important for him to put living thing, you know, things he needed to live rather than sort of sentimental letters. So I, my mother, they divorced in 1966 or 60 or something. And he died in 1976 and she died in 1986. And that's when I found the letters. I didn't know about the letters. She never told me about the letters. She never said, you know, your father just died, here are these letters, nothing, nothing. Um, so when I found them, I 
looked at them and I didn't, you know, why are they in German? I knew he spoke German. I didn't think she spoke German. I, 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 I couldn't deal with them, Dan. I just couldn't, I, I didn't deal with them. I put them in my own sloppy lingerie drawer. But then in 2018, I got this job acting in a play on Broadway called Indecent. And I came, so I came into some extra money. It was a, a good money job, but also I was in the company of excellent artists and I kind of allowed myself to be elevated by association. And I thought to myself, look, if they hired you, maybe you are of value. And so why, what do you, what do you want to do with these letters? You're schlepping them around for 30 years. Don't you think it's time to translate them? And so that's what, that was the stimulus. My career was going well. I had this money. What about these letters? And so I looked for a translator, which was also not easy for me. I'm disorganized. And so I found a translator. Uh, who a young woman who lived in Berlin and um, she began the translations um, and then during that period of time uh, I was singing uh, with this band uh, called Frank London who's with the Klezmatics Frank London and the Klezmer Brass All-Stars all and we had a gig in Berlin and that I went to see this translator and she said to me, you know, the address on your father's letters, my brother lives in Stuttgart, right around the corner from where your father's letters are from. And it was like, what, what? And she said, I'm gonna be going there. This was November of 2018, I think. And she said, I'm going in January. And if you wanna go with me, and I thought, what? What do you mean? You know, why would I go? What? go <laughs> you know, like <laughs> and she said yeah what do you want to go and uh i thought about it a lot and and i went and that's and that's what the book really is about it's about that journey that i did not expect to make that i did not expect to find anything of interest really because everybody was dead and what is there to find and blah, blah, blah. But it turned out that I found a lot of stuff. And um, the book kind of winds up, like I take this journey and I bring the reader with me. Uh, yeah. Do you, you know, you, you have all these letters and then when you and Yiva, uh, you know, go, go to the archives and you just find everything that your father talked about in 1967. Um, and that, you know, and, and even mentions you. Um, what, what emotions go through your head when you, when you just get all this information all at once? First of all, I mean, as you might imagine, it's overwhelming, right? Especially since you don't really it's not like I was expecting to get any information. I didn't think there was any information to get. 
Um, I so so for starters, it, 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 I mean it's shocking, and it really takes a while to digest the depth and magnitude of what I did not know. And I mean, it's, it's really kind of interesting. You know, your parents, like, you don't meet your parents until they're 30 or so. I mean, and then you, so for 30 years, at least, your parents lived and did stuff that had nothing to do with you or with me or their child. They did, they had a, 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 a complete life before they had a child. So in relation to my father, who was 50 when I was born, he had a way more than a, a little bit of a life. He was 50. Um, most of two thirds of, that was two thirds of his life happened before he had me, before I met him. And before the war and living through the war. I mean, he was one guy before the war and then he fought. I mean, he never spoke about the war. I never knew what happened to him or anything. Um, and so he was one kind of guy before the war. And before the war, I learned he was like handsome, bon vivant, um, hot, great dresser, uh, poetic, blah, blah, blah. The guy I knew didn't speak good English, had a dopey accent, looked funny, like not like a handsome American man in my stupid opinion at that time um you know false teeth what I, I i he was a sweatshop worker a factory worker uh kind of a nobody and that's who i thought he was so from those documents dan i learned that i was the daughter of a different fellow you know what what i related to is you know as as someone who's also sort of the the, the the genealogist of the family and uh, you know not everyone's interest matches my own right. uh i mean my my aunt yes but you know um how what you know how it must have felt when your brothers specifically were were sort of tepid and and lukewarm at, at your journey it, it seems like it seems like harry kind of came around at the end when you when you told him all that information but what were those conversations like and why do you think they act, they responded the way they did? Yeah. Yeah. I think now, you know, after this book, I learned, I learned a lot. I mean, I learned an awful lot after or during and what I believe is true about both of my brothers I believe that their lives as boys, I mean, and we can look at Ukraine now, you know, like now we have this, this image uh, uh, on TV of, and it's not, a, it's not the same exactly. No, no, it's not. But 
we have the image of these children as refugees, as frightened, starving, cold, tired. And so I think that both of my brothers on a certain level did not want to look back. I think that it was for them enough, and, and this was not conscious on their part, right? But I think, I think they, that they managed to live through that nightmare, that they managed to reform and recreate themselves and readjust and readapt and, and resurrect themselves from, from hungry little frightened boys into either a, an Englishman or an American man, I think they didn't want to look back. And, and, and I, I might have had resentment about that before, but I do not anymore. I do not. I do not. I'm sorry for my own, I don't know if the word is intransience, but for my own rigidity and judgmental, you know, I say in the book, I need to be more forgiving and, and I am now more forgiving. So I, I appreciate their difficulty. What I, you know, what I find fascinating and, and obviously I, you know, I wasn't around during that time, but 80 years on and we're still telling, we're still getting stories about the Holocaust. We, we seem to still be learning things. We still seem to be, there's still, I think, a certain fascination with, with that time period as, you know, as someone who's, who had parents who were survivors of that. Is there anything that you learned about that time in history that you didn't know before going through your, your, your father's letters and, and, and his life? Sure. Yeah. So I, I learned a lot. I mean, I thought I, I always thought I knew enough. Um, which was pretty arrogant of me, but also a little bit like, how much can you know? How much do you want to keep delving into that dark, dark time? But there are lessons certainly to be learned from that time. And the one of the largest takeaways for me from that book was I always you know, they call those people who lived through the war survivors. And I realized when I was writing that book that that was a minimizing, I felt, anyway, I felt that that is and was a minimizing term for these people who fought like Muhammad Ali. I mean, they fought with everything they had. And so one of the things that I decided and realized because of this book was that my father was a fighter, was a Holocaust fighter, not a survivor. And that all of, you know, they, they used to say that the, that they were like, they went like sheep to the slaughter, right? They used to say, and it's like, really, man, really? Uh, think about it yourself and what are you going to, what would you do, you know, but uh, without going down that road, I just want to say that for me, everyone, whether they lived, were successful and lived 
through the Holocaust or they were not successful and were murdered by the Holocaust. They fought, they were fighters, they were Holocaust fighters. So, so that's, uh, that was kind of my greatest takeaway and that I was the daughter of such people. Um, but your, the beginning of your question really, Dan, is also interesting. Like, why do we still care? But if you think, I mean, American slavery was 200 years ago, uh, uh, more, I mean, but it's still, the, its remnants, first of all, still exist. And really, have we come so far? Do we, do we, uh, have we gone past that horrible chapter? Well, not exactly. And, and clearly the same thing with the Holocaust. And, um, and I think though, it is, there's something about, like, can we imagine humanity to be as bad slash evil slash thoughtless slash hateful? Is that who we homo sapiens are? Uh, so I, I, I would only hope people look to that to say, well, I, I don't want to be a homo sapien like that. Uh, I'm curious, you know, you, we, you touched on Ukraine briefly. And obviously you can't speak directly about the Holocaust experience, but from, from, from your dad's letters and what you learned in Germany, do you see any parallels with what you learned from your dad's experience and what we're witnessing now? I do. I do. Um, look, you have an evil man who is, for whatever his reasons are of selfish, greedy, um, that his own interests uh, supersede humanity and that he is, you know, the, the, the bully. I mean, it, he, he is murdering innocent people in a country that he does not belong in. And so it's not unlike to me, 1939, when Germany invaded Poland and so now, and, and subjugated it, subjugated and murdered its people. And now we are watching comrade Putin uh, murder and attempt to subjugate a people. Um, and uh, his, his means uh, he doesn't yet need to do what Hitler did. He's doing it in his own way. And uh, I, 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 and to be, to be a Jewish person who is the daughter of people who fought through the Holocaust and to watch my television and I live in a warm place and I have food and uh, I, I lead a good life and to watch the suffering of these people and, and the fact that we're not NATO, they're not NATO, so we can't quite help them. And I understand the complications of nuclear war and not wanting to increase the war. But I mean, I remember that that was what was said during World War II.
And if Japan had not bombed Pearl Harbor, Pearl Harbor, what would America have done? You know, it's, it's amazing. I mean, how do you, how do you think about it, Dan? You're in a NATO country too. Yeah. I mean, you know, I understand by, I mean, although Biden's not my president, you know, because I'm, um, I understand his position, NATO's position about not wanting to create a no-fly zone because everyone just knows like it, 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 it's, it's a situation that nobody wants to get into, you know, um, but it looks like Russia might have violated their own ceasefire already. And so like, how, how long do you wait, right? right. I think at a certain point, and I'm like, I'm the biggest pacifist, right? But at a certain point, diplomacy can only do so much. When, I mean, when you, what do you do with a bully? I mean, what do you do? What do you do when a bully pushes you around or wants to kill you? I mean, I think, I don't think it's out of the question that we might see a military coup in Russia. Well, we'll see. I mean, it, it, you know, I mean, there are some stories of, of Russian soldiers saying, you know, the, the government ditched us, they don't care about us. And not, not that they're turning sides, but they're, I think there's, they're starting to become more hesitancy on the military, on the military side. Um, so I, I, I guess one more um, political situation that I, I think kind of, that I wanted to draw a parallel to before sure. we circle back was after, after Germany, you go to Israel for two weeks to do uh-huh. this art, to do this arts residency, which it sounds like it was just an extraordinary time for you, but you, you, you sort of write about how, um, and this is not a direct quote, but, but you write about how Israel wouldn't exist today without the actions of sort of what happened during the war. Um, uh, you know, how do you think the Holocaust, or let me put it this way, did the Holocaust change your perception and understanding of Israel and the current situation that's in the Middle East? Uh, I, I think what I say in the book about it is not that the Holocaust is responsible for Israel. Some people think that, but I actually didn't address that. But what I did address was that the Holocaust couldn't have happened, would never have happened in its way that there, it, there would not ever have been such a one-sided massacre, right. basically, if there had been a state of Israel at the time. That, that's, that was the point that I wanted to make. And I say in the book, look, whatever your political opinion about Israel is, however passionate or passive you feel about them, you must take into consideration that a lot fewer of those Jews would have been killed if Germany had to contend with a Jewish army, that an Israeli army at that time. So on a certain level, I say, I think in the book that just to keep that in mind, friends, however we view what's happening there, just keep in mind that if Israel had existed, six million people would not have been killed during that war until the allies and 
uh, America joined forces to, to put a stop to Hitler. Somebody else would have been working on that. That's, that's really my only point. And, um, you know, uh, I, I, I don't, I don't go into the issue of Israel and Palestine. Um, I mean, I have, I, I certainly have opinions about it. And, um, I, and as you know about Canada, and as I know about the United States, we are not blameless in our own um, uh, wrong, is an understatement, behavior toward the indigenous people. Uh, so, I mean, I, I don't mind criticizing Israel. I, I just would like to, I, I'd like to, you know, have other people, other nations join in to their own and acknowledge their own dastardly behavior too. Which is interesting because for, you know, all that everyone has said about Germany and, you know, what they did, they are the one country that really is acknowledging their past, um, their past, you know, the past deeds of their government. And, you know, I, I kind of laughed a little bit when you when you talked about going to Germany because you said you know it, it, it's very cold and 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 the people are sort of very like you know firm, which which I do think is a, a stereotype that you hear uh, about Germany in, in in a lot of ways. But were there and I, I I mean I've never really spent that much time in Germany, but um, I do love the language. Um, were were there certain things that surprised you about that culture and that country and, and the people when you when you got there? First of all, they were the most helpful people to me. They were extremely able and interested to to help me in ways that I had no idea was I mean they 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 wanted to help me find out what I could, and these were strangers. These were not, you know, these these were strangers. And and um, yes, they're officious. Yes, they're a bit rigid, but I like them as a people. I mean, if I maybe that's a wrong thing to say, but they're the only nation I feel in the world actually that has acknowledged their behavior and criticized their behavior and educated their citizens about their behavior and have tried to do the right thing. Um, so, you know, I know people who say, well, I would never go to Germany or something. I mean, I, 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 I tip my hat to Germany and um, all the other nations who have not acknowledged any wrongdoing uh, I find really um, disgusting, and uh, and there's hardly a nation in Europe that was not uh, somewhat complicit. So, uh, so I, I, I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I appreciate, I appreciate Germany, and. Uh, I'm really grateful to them in a way that they have 
educated themselves and transformed and acknowledged their wrong. I don't know what else a, a body can do. You know, they give, repara they give reparations. America doesn't give reparations to slaves who, you know, worked, who built this country for, for free in, in, in captivity. You know, you, you mentioned all the all the help you received in Germany, and it it sort of struck me as as the inverse of your brothers. You know, the I think you find that perhaps the reasons why your brothers were sort of lukewarm about this journey was the very same reason that the Germans wanted to help you. Yeah, no, I think you know, bingo. Uh, I think you've hit on a really interesting, accurate assessment of the two Jewish men, my brothers, who lived through it and did not want to, to live through it again. But the German people who also lived through it in their way, wanted to keep, they, want, they wanted or need to keep examining it because of, they, they didn't suffer it in, then. And now they have appetite for it in a way. It, it, it's really, it, it's a really, really interesting point, Dan. You know, look, this idea of, of looking forward versus looking back, you know, like your, your brothers want to look forward, the Germans, are, are looking back a little bit. I imagine as an artist, because uh, you know I'm I'm in I'm in the business too. We're we're very introspective, and so we do a lot of both at any one time, depending on I think what 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 the project is. At least in uh, you know in, in the experience that I've had. Have have you have you thought about that at all? The, the this idea of you know looking back on your career as an artist, or 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 looking forward and any any parallels between that journey that you went on? Uh, I don't look forward a lot. I'll tell you the truth. I really, I don't know if I'm incapable of looking forward. Um, I mean, and even my father in the, I, I quote him from that testimony in the book and he says, one of the reasons he says that he was able to survive Auschwitz, he says, is because he did not look back. He could, if he looked back, he would not be able to survive. So he just kept moving forward. And then after the war and after all of that, he was able to, you know, he couldn't stop mourning all the loss. But, uh, but I, um, I, I can't seem to drop those suitcases, man, from the past. I mean, I'm schlepping them with me uh, day by day, but I would like to think that they nourish me in some way. Because the future, I mean, I, you know, some people are, I just don't, I just don't know how to look into the future, I'm, I'm glad. I'm always paying the most money for a coach seat on an airplane because I just can't buy that ticket 
until two days before it's time to go. There are people who've booked their airline ticket. It costs $49 for coach. They booked it, you know, they're booked for September and, and my ticket for the seat next to them costs 800 bucks because I can't book it. <laughs> you know, I, another thing that I, it seems strikes me is that when you, especially when you were in Germany, you talk a lot about this idea of sort of instinct, running on instinct, especially because you didn't speak the language. Um, and it, it strikes me that, did you find that that, that that was your, that was your artist kicking in there a little bit since artists tend to go a lot on instinct? Yeah, that's another really good point. Um, you know, I, I do operate on instinct. Uh, which I used to, I think, denigrate a lot. And I would, I thought instinct was less than scholarliness, that really scholarliness was more uh, valuable and instinct was a kind of laziness or something. But uh, I, I don't think that anymore. And again, about my father, he one of the reasons I think he didn't, that he lived, one of the reasons that he lived was because he had instincts. He had instincts of where to go or who to work for or how to be. And, and even in the letters, you know, my parents' marriage didn't work out. And he's, in the letters, you can hear that he's worried about you know, he has, he has a sense, some sixth sense. Hmm, is this really smart? Do you really love me? And he was right in a way. I mean, he, his instincts were correct that the marriage was not meant to be um, so instincts. And I would say to you, Dan, as that I'm a few years older than you, and I would say, trust your instincts. You know, uh, that's what you've got. That's what you've got that's different than anybody else. And it's how you smell a room um, that will give you, you know, give you the art that you need and the life that you need. One picture I, I found powerful was the one that Hilke took uh, of you uh -huh. in, 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 in front of that big memorial, you know, and there's, there's a, I think it's, it's Hannah and, and Frida, uh, right? The, the Shushelbergs. Uh, well, I mean, I remember when I saw the 9-11 memorial, and that's really the only, that's really the only thing I can compare it to because that's, that's the only, you know, even though it didn't affect me, it's the only sort of mass memorial that I've, that I've seen. Um, and even though I didn't know any of the people, you know, there, there just, there was a sense of like, whoa. Um, I imagine you had similar feelings when you saw that memorial with, with those names on them for the first time. Yeah, I mean, so, uh, so those two names, just for the people who haven't read the book, uh, my father was married in Germany to this woman, Hannah, and he had a daughter named Frida. 
and they were both sent on a transport train out of Stuttgart in 1942. And my father miraculously was plucked out of that transport because he um, was a good worker and he was needed. And so his wife and four-year-old daughter, or maybe she was five or six by then, I'm not sure, six maybe, were on that train. And this memorial that um, Dan is talking about is like, it was completely, first of all, it was an unexpected trip, right? I mean, I, I was so tired already. It was on the last day of the four days only, but I was so not into it. I was so not into going to another memorial and seeing more German apology. I just, I was really tired of, it was such a sad trip for me and that we went to this place. And I would say to you, Dan, if you ever find yourself in Washington, DC, uh, go to the Vietnam Memorial. Cause that will, that, that was the only, I, I have never, I just recently went to the 9-11 Memorial. Um, so the only other memorial like that that I ever went to besides a regular cemetery was Vietnam Memorial. And this was like that, except that there was my half sister's name on that memorial. You know, I mean, it's like finding your family on the Vietnam Memorial when you're not expecting to see them. And that's, that's, I didn't, I had neither Hilka nor I had any idea that this memorial would be about my family. Um, and so indeed it, it blew me away really. Um, and I'm grateful to Hilka for having taken me there and to the people who thought of it um yeah yeah it it it, it, it I, was an amazing trip <laughs> one of the the things you mentioned right as you know i think it, when you go from germany to israel is you felt in germany that you were othered or you know th th this idea of, of othering and, and and not being you know i guess fully integrated whereas in in Israel, I think because you were shunned by artists, you 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 didn't feel that. Um, this this idea of othering, I wonder if you could expand on that a little bit, because for me, is in some ways, I feel it's connected to this idea of of privilege in a, in, a, in a lot of ways, in 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 the fact that you know because we're 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 fortunate to be able to live a certain way we can't, you know, it, it can be more difficult for us to, to step out of that and, and, and into something else. The feeling of other, yes, I think in part it's economic. Um, although I think that rich people of color, rich people of uh, LGBTQ plus, rich Jewish people, 
all have a sense, even though they're economically on par with, or even a greater par than with those in power, I think may still have a sense of other, other. So in Germany, other to me meant Jewish, right? That's what other felt like, like when I went into the bar and nobody said hello. And at that time, my hair was brown and um, uh, uh, many, many, many people are mostly blonde. And, and perhaps my facial features look Semitic. I mean, I don't even know necessarily, but perhaps, you know, if you go to Sweden, if I go to Sweden or if I went to Sweden or Copenhagen when I had brown hair, I clearly don't look like everybody else. Or if I were black I, in Germany, or you just don't look like everybody else. And in some places, nobody cares or notices, but in other places, you're treated like you don't belong. Um, and I would say that I, I might have a predisposition to that because I feel feel or felt that a lot here in America, even though there are a lot of Jews here, um, I always felt like I wanted to be tall and blonde and I wanted my parents to not, you know, my father to smoke a pipe and sit with a vest and a newspaper and his slippers and with a cat on his lap in front of the fireplace. And that, that I, I thought that was America. But that wasn't America. That isn't America. America is Jewish people, black people, Hispanic people. You know, that's really what America is. But when I was a kid, you didn't see Jewish people recognize, I, I didn't see Jewish people on television uh, really or black people on television, or it was a time before now, before there was a consciousness about other. And what you have now is an attempt these last few years or to, to, to make other part of, to, 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 to try to remove other. Is, is there a, a, a sense of pride, I guess, for you that the, that the president of Ukraine is is Jewish <laughs> makes me nervous. You know, <laughs> I mean, it makes me nervous for many reasons. I mean, so I mean, there are some people who I think I'm just glad he's a great guy. I mean, I'm just glad he's smart and humanistic. Um, you know. On, on some level, if, if people get angry, if he fails or something, I'm on some level afraid that people will blame it on the Jew, the Jew who failed, you know, so it's, it's, you know, I come from the time when the idea of being Jewish was to be somewhat hidden so that you were not out there, um, you know, you didn't, you know, like if there were a murder somewhere, you say, oh, I hope he's not Jewish. You know what I mean? It's like you, you, you but I'm proud of Zalet, Zaletsky 
because he's an honorable man, then I, 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 I have, I don't really have a glad or not glad about his mm, race. You know, speaking of that, I, I think one, to use the word problematic issue that we're seeing is that, you know, there's been, especially in the European media, we're seeing a lot of the anchors saying, oh, like, you know, this isn't supposed to happen in Europe. Like the Ukrainians, they look just like us with, with blonde hair and blue eyes. Like, you know, I think a, a BBC anchor was caught saying us. And the, I mean, she phrased it horribly, but the point she was trying to make was that we can relate to them because the Ukrainians look just like us. You know, it, it, it's not Syria, it's, it, it, it's not Africa. And, you know, um, that's, she was trying to say that that's why we're more sympathetic is because we, you know, we, we, we can relate to them because these are, you know, these are people that, you know, that, oh, they're blonde and blue, they're European. We, you know, we, 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 we see them every day. It, when, when something like this happens, you know, whether it's Ukraine or, 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 or whether it's the, you know, Holocaust, um, as, as someone who is, has, you know, spent time sort of ingratiating themselves in, into this history, how do we go about changing the dialogue and, and, and ch just tweaking the way we have these conversations? Yeah, how do we? I mean, uh, it really is, it's a big question, Dan. And um, part of the thing with Ukraine is you have an independent country being democracy, no less, being invaded by a foreign power who wishes to overtake it. So uh, the level of suffering between Ukraine and Syria and places in Africa or China uh, I'm, I'm sure they're all parallel to the people who are suffering. Um, and I, the, uh, you know, I mean, can't we save everybody? Can't we protect everybody? One might ask, we Westerners, who pride ourselves on somewhat democratic standards, and certainly our standard of living is by far more uh, uh, economically, um, shockingly economically better than three quarters of the rest of the planet, can't we? We don't operate that way. Why couldn't we? Why? Why aren't we earthlings? Why can't we be earthlings? I, I mean, I, that sounds as naive as hell, but we are earthlings, idiots. <laughs> that's, how I, that's, that's, how I, that's how I want to carry on this conversation. Earthlings. We are mothers and children and fathers. And, you know, what's, what's the matter with you? Don't you want their, don't you want, how can you enjoy your, earthly this is paradise you you know 
I hate you. <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe you shouldn't ask me these questions, you know, because that's my, I'm an earthling. I'm an earthling. What? You, you, you just mentioned, you know, mothers and, and daughters and children. And there's a great quote from you uh, where you say in the book where you say, I am my parents' daughter um, or, or, you know, something like that. Um, do you, I guess, a two-part question, do you feel that, you know, going on this journey either either brought you closer or, or changed the relationship you've had with your parents? And do you think in some way that we're always destined to grow up to be some version of our parents? <laughs> I mean, I didn't know who my parents were really. I mean, I knew who they were for 20 years of their lives, but not much more than that. And so that quote from the book, uh, I think refers to my father in his, um, in his testimony says that he never bowed his head. You know, he was beaten, he was everything, and he never bowed his head. And in a way, I, I probably have many times in the course of my life bowed my head. And at this point in life, I don't want to bow my head anymore. Yes, I am their daughter. They were fighters. And I want to be the daughter of, of it's just a different word. It's such an interesting thing that when you say Holocaust, Let's see, if you could pick the door for Holocaust survivor or the door for Holocaust fighter and think, which door do you want to walk through? I personally would walk through the door of Holocaust fighter. And some, for some reason, they were called Holocaust survivors. But they, in my opinion, were fighters. And um, I am... Look, even when they were survivors, I was proud to be their daughter at a certain point. I learned a lot from them, but I was ashamed of them. I can't, I can't pretend I was not and now make myself, you know, I was, you know, they were foreigners and, you know, do I have to, you know, Ma, you don't have to go to school to meet my teacher. You know, I mean, I, it was um, my bad, um, but I, you know, and I've spent a lot of money on therapy, Dan, to try to be my best self. But I am genetically and internally their daughter. And they had some really, really great parts to them. But they lived in a horrible time, in a horrible place, and had no opportunity. And I live the opposite life to theirs. So um, what they could have done if they were born in America or there was no war in Germany, they'd have, they'd have had it made. They'd have been, you know, who, who knows? Yeah. So, um, yeah. But I guess the more you know about your family on some level, the more you'll know about yourself and you can choose to embrace whatever bits of it you want to and discard 
or attempt to discard what you like to try to attempt to discard. Can we translate that into a greater knowledge of history? I mean, you, you sort of mentioned when you started this, what you thought you knew and then what you realized you didn't know. And there's a lot of stories about Gen Z today and, and how little they know of, of the Holocaust and, and, you know, other things. And, and, you know, and I think a certain amount of, of ignorance is, is okay because you don't have necessarily have to have an opinion on everything, but when does ignorance become dangerous? I mean, I don't really know how you cannot know about the past or not want to know. I mean, where's your curiosity, man? I mean, really, do you think it all begins with you today? Really? You know, okay. I mean, I'll be gone by the time you figure that out. Um, but there's a wealth, you know, I mean, that happened before you were born. Uh, you don't want to know about it? I think you're a dope. I mean, that's, uh, you know, I mean, that's, you know, how could you not want to know? How could you not want to know about the different ages of humankind? So I don't get it. I mean, so what are you learning? What, what do you think is important? What? You know, TikTok, I mean, I'm sure it is, but really? I mean, really? Okay, yeah. Um, you know, what I, what I in, in a way, I did feel something romantic, I, I guess, in, in the way your father wrote to your mother. Maybe that's just because I think for a certain generation, there's a... Um, this idea that, that that letter writing was this was this grand gesture that we've lost because everyone's sending emails or texts, which, which wasn't an option back then. And, you know, like I, there's a, millions of letters from my grandfather to, to, to my grandmother. Um, have, have, have we lost that that in, in, I guess, intensely personal show of affection, whether it's through letter writing or through some other medium? You know, it's, it's probably, I, I'm sure it's before your day, but during my day, before internet, I mean, you had to, and, and so forget world, during the world wars across continents, but even, you know, get a letter from California or something. I mean, it took a week. Let's you know, if you were interested in somebody or seeing somebody you had to wait wait you had to wait for a letter and then they had to wait and waiting is hot i mean waiting you know it can be i mean it's maybe you know frustrating but you know you're disappointed later you know you have you live in some uh sweet romantic place where your imagination you wait so um and now you know i i don't have this feature on my on my emails but i'm gonna get it where where i have to wait 30 seconds before after i hit click so so that i could at least think for 30 seconds 
after I immediately hit click, to, do you want to send this out? Do you really want to, you sure? You know, so I'm, I'm going to afford myself 30 seconds to evaluate my, my action. Yeah. So we're living, it's a fast paced world now. And that's just how it is. You know, this, this, this book is, is coming out sort of right in this cultural moment where everyone and their dog is interested in, in genealogy. You know, we're seeing shows like, who do you think you are, which has been almost on almost 20 years in Britain, um, finding your roots with Henry Louis Gates, you know, and, and, and his previous shows as well. And, you know, CNN got in the game and, you know, ancestries posting clips as, as someone who recently went on their own journey with this is, is there something specific you can pinpoint as to why all of a sudden everyone wants to know this information? You know, there were a lot of baby boomers, I guess, who are now 60, 70 years old and they're, you know, on their way. We are on our way out. We are the near tip of the current melting iceberg. So a our parents, so the baby boomers' parents are, are kind of just about gone. And soon the baby boomers will be gone, which is, I suppose, modernity. And if you don't find out soon, you're not going to find out. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm glad people want to know. But, yeah. I think I think it's just the iceberg that's that's melting. Um, given how intense intensely personal this this journey, this book, this project was for you, do you think you might adapt it into either a one woman show, maybe maybe a film? Is is that something that's on your mind at all? I I would love for it to be a six-part miniseries, you know. Um, it, it certainly could be a one-woman show, but I, I think it's a larger story. And um, that, that's certainly how I would like to see it these days. But, but we'll see, it's, it's, it's early days, but I hope something yeah. I hope people read it. You know, I'm working my tail off trying to get it out there. And um, I've, I've never really worked so hard uh, as trying to move this book into the world. Uh, it means so much to me. Um, but it's out. And, and it, it, I, you know, will live after me. So that's a good thing. Are there lessons or ideas that you want people who read this to, to, to learn, to take away? Um, I mean, in the book, I talk about the Holocaust fighters, as we said, and 
I talk about um, Israel. Uh, if only they had been around during World War II. But um, I, I also talk a little bit about being kind or entitled to myself. And I would, that's, and in general, when I speak to people, especially to younger people, like, that's always what I want to say to them, that I, I can't, and I do it a little in the book, actually, like I talk to myself in the book. I say, come on, Eleanor, good girl, yeah, you know, and instead of being mean to myself, which I could be and have been, and so that's, that's what I would want to say, especially like to you, who I don't know, Dan, and but to you as in your age and what you have to look forward to in your life, I would say, hey, man, just uh, be good, be, be kind to yourself. Then you'll be kind to everybody else. So just just talk nicely to yourself and supportively to yourself and as, as though you were your own dog. That's how I feel now. Good girl. Good. What do you want? You know, that's, that's, that's what I would, that's what I would say. Uh, and finally, what is the, you, you mentioned in the book, but I'm wondering if you share it here. Um, you and Bob Dylan? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, but were you, were you at a party with Bob Dylan or what, what was No, the... no, no. I, I, uh, when I was 28, I used to go to, I used to swim every day in this hotel and Bob Dylan was in town. He was going to be at the garden and, and I went, I mean, that's what I did. I would swim every day. And, um, one day when I got out of the pool, I saw Bob Dylan like sitting on a lounge chair on my way to the women's dressing room. I was like, wow. Oh, and I just sort of said, I said, hi, you know, because in New York, we don't ever act like anybody is anything, you know. Oh, hi. How you doing? And just kept going. And then I saw that he was going to be at the garden and I went swimming the next day. And he was in the pool. I mean, he was in the pool. And um, we started talking. And uh he asked if I, I said something about the garden and he asked if I was going and I said I couldn't afford it. And he said, there'll be two tickets for you at the box office. And there were uh, with a pass for the party, the backstage party after. And, um, and that was, uh, and then I, went to that <laughs> and and he he was staying at that hotel that was across the street from my apartment and i wrote him a note and there you have you know there you there you have it if you ask about letter writing for example i wrote him a note and i thanked him for the tickets and i invited him to dinner in my apartment and uh and for anything more than that, I guess you have to buy the Letters Project, A Daughter's Journey. <laughs> <laughs> what about that, Dan? Mm -hmm. Let's leave them with 
if you want to know what happened with me and Bob Dylan. Yeah, we'll we'll leave it on a we'll leave it on a bit of mystery. <laughs> it's actually funny because year, years ago, uh, I got to meet Joan Baez, and she had her own stories of Bob Dylan. So I bet I, she did. Yeah, I, uh, I I used to work as a theater usher, so. Huh. Uh, she had her own, you know, so it's just, it's, it's kind of funny. I was just like, oh yeah, I've met somebody else who, you know, who, 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 who you know, had, a, had, had an experience with Bob. It's just, it's, you know, yes. yeah. kind of funny how it all, you know, it, it all, it all comes. Sure does. Yeah. It sure does. Yeah. Uh, well, the book is uh, the letters project, a daughter's journey. Um, has it officially been released yet or yes, what? Yes, yeah. it's officially released uh you can get it on amazon or barnes and noble or if you go to my website eleanorisa.com it tells you this audio book i did i did the narration for the audio book and there's an ebook it's all there um yeah yeah dan thanks so much w what a terrific guy you are i'm so well, glad to have talked to you thank you and yes thank uh thank Joseph. He, he actually reached out to me. I wasn't aware. I, so I'm sometimes not aware where all the, you know, where all these publicists get, you know, get, <laughs> get, get, get my name from, but uh, yeah, no, this was a lot of fun. And I, uh, I, uh, I really enjoyed the book and uh, you know, hopefully one day we can, we can see that mini series or however you, you, you do it. Um, I think it would make a really good, um, a really good story for the for, for for the screen. Thank you, thank you, and maybe we'll meet again. Yes, I mean, you know, I, I I'm a theater grad myself. I work in film, so you never know, right? <laughs> do it, man, do it. Yes, already, Eleanor. Thank you so much. Have a great thank uh, you. have a great rest of your day. You too. Thanks so right. much. Bye bye. Bye. And that was my conversation with Eleanor Risa, her book, The Letters Project, uh, Daughter's Journey, is out now. Uh, I really encourage all the listeners to uh, go out and get it, uh, either a, a physical or, or a digital copy. Uh, I really, really uh, enjoyed reading it. It's entertaining. Uh as well as um, educational. That does it for me today. My sincere thanks to Eleanor Risa for her time and for joining me. It was a lot of fun. Slava Ukraini. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you next time.